Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Center English Theatre and coming to you from the Panorama Room of Canada's National Arts Center in Ottawa. I am Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the first interview podcast of the 2008-2009 international season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In these podcasts, artistic director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with Leah Cherniak, director of Samuel Beckett's Happy Days that played from September 16th to October 4th here at the NAC Theatre. For more information about the NAC Theatre Company's production of Happy Days, please visit www.nac-cna.ca slash happy days. And now, here are Peter Hinton and Leah Cherniak. Hello, everybody. Can Can you all hear me here? Apparently, I could be heard on the balcony. Just a bit nervous there. But uh, welcome to uh, the 0809 season and the first interview of the season, which is uh, a season of international plays. And we opened the season last night with uh, a production of Happy Days by Samuel Beckett. And we're very fortunate today to have the director of that production, Leah Cherniak, here with us this afternoon. And, and before we officially welcome her, I just want to tell you a little bit about Leah, about, about her background. And um, <clears throat> Leah and I go way back, hold on to your granny shoes. <laughs> 23 years ago, Leah Cherniak and I... I was five. <laughs> you How were was five. that possible? She was a protege, a wunderkind of the Canadian Theatre. And we shared an office at the Poor Alex Theatre. Not the Royal Alex, the Poor Alex. uh, At Brunswick and Bloor Street. And we shared an office maybe the size of this platform. And I think during the course of the year, there were maybe eight people that worked in that office at little desks set up. And so I got to know Leah quite intimately back in those old days. But um, Leah, some of you will remember, has directed here before. She directed our production of The Little Years by John Mighton in 2006. Leah um, has been the co-founder with Martha Ross of a company called Theatre Columbus based out of Toronto. And the company uh, created over 30 new plays and uh, in addition to new work, also did contemporary adaptations, um, which we might talk a little bit about, of uh, classical work as well. Um, How old is the company now, Leah? It will be 25 years this year. 25 years, which is really remarkable. You know, you think a lot of marriages don't last that long. (laughs) And this is a a performance company that Leah and Martha Ross have run with all kinds of various administrative support and artistic support coming in, but they've been the sole creators of that company for 25 years. Leah trained at the uh, Lecoq School in Paris, which 
I'd also like to talk a bit about. And uh, over the course of uh, her time at Columbus, um, the productions include the multi-award winning published play The Anger in Ernest and Ernestine. Uh, that play uh, has been produced all over the world, including productions in Labrador, Cuba, the Czech Republic, Los Angeles. Um, a, a marvelous adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's play Pierre Gint called Ginty. Um, it was done a few years ago, as well as The Barber of Seville, Dr. Dapper Tuto, Lonely Nights and Other Stories, and most recently, Dance of the Red Skirts, which was a piece inspired by a painting by Paul Clay. Uh, also for Theatre Columbus, Leah created and performed the role of Jelly in The Attic, The Pearls, and Three Fine Girls, uh, which was published, and uh, she also directed the Chalmers Award-winning play, uh, the Betrayal. She's directed everything from The Diary of Anne Frank to uh, plays like John Gabriel Borkman by <laughs> Ibsen. And it is a real pleasure and honor to have Leah here today. So please join me in welcoming Leah Cherniak. <laughs> So Leah, maybe yes. what we could do is start, and you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. You trained at a very interesting place, mm -hmm. which has kind of been a, informed uh, all of your work, whether it's a classical text or a new play. Mm -hmm. What is Lecoq, and could you describe its influence Why on your did life? I get there? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably been the single most influential part of my life. I would say both in theater and how it changed me. Now, I don't know if anyone's spent any time in Paris, but after two years there, I don't think anyone would come back the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a... Um, and when you're in your 20s, of course, it's, it's an extraordinary experience. And the school, which was... It, it's called a school of mime, movement, and theatre. Uh, it's not really the kind of mime that Marcel Marceau does, where you, you know, pick a flower and smell it delicately. Lecoq was more interested in imitating um, life forces, like we would have to imitate light. How do you embody physically the sunrise, for instance? How do you embody the color purple? How, so so it, it had a physical base that um, Lecoq believed uh, would make for the most interesting and unique theatre. If, if you follow along his path, his pedagogy, um, you'd arrive at something personal and unique and something um, compelling for an audience. Uh, the school was an international school, which means people came from all over the world, which also made it incredibly attractive to be there because suddenly I, not only was I in Paris, but I was faced with people with ideas and thoughts and uh, lifestyles and cultures from everywhere. And that, uh, and then watch how they uh, expressed it theatrically. So that is an ex it was incredibly exciting and informative. And the other thing is Lecoq, unlike uh, so many um, educational systems here, was the absolute true pedagogue, which we don't really think of as in-depth as they do in Europe, I think. So he did nothing but work on being an educator. How best to take students on a path from here to here to here to here over two years, and was constantly fine-tuning it and thinking deeply, deeply about 
how to let us go, how we should leave at the end. So, and I think he did a, ma- a magnificent job. It, most people who go there um, spend the next five years trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> what happened to me? And, am I purple? Am I light? <laughs> am I bacon? I mean, am I, I also bacon? was a bacon once, <laughs> if you can believe it. <laughs> Um, and also spending the next five years trying to get back to Europe somehow until finally you sort of settle into your country and realize he gave us the tools to um, create something in our own culture. Uh, um, he gave us the, the tools which he would describe as universal, which is controversial to some degree, but tools where we could then uh, create theater in our in all our own various cultures. It's very interesting this school because in addition to many uh, wonderful performers that it's generated, it also has an enormous reputation for generating theater companies. Yes. And I think I could say that Theatre Columbus, your company, mm-hmm. really came out of that training and came out of that experience. Uh, companies like Théâtre Complicité in London, a uh, very famous company, met at Lecoq, the founding members, uh, to a company from Montreal today, Sabouge, a young company. Mm-hmm. Again, why is that? Why is that? Because the other part of the whole training is looking at ways to... Uh, teach us to collaborate. Uh-huh. So theater is a collaborative art in its very nature. Many people gather together to put happy days on stage. A designer, um, a sound designer, a lighting designer, the director. And you can collaborate to a lesser or greater degree with your team as the director. Lecoq uh, trained us to collaborate democratically. So, for instance, I would be in a room with uh, a Spaniard, a French person, uh, the Ghanese, and uh, me and the Italian. And in uh, seven days, we had to come up with a 10-minute piece that reflected the poetry of Sylvia Plath, for an example. And <laughs> we had to work together. So not only did we have language barriers, but you know, all the regular ideas, everyone wants their ideas to be out there. We had to learn uh, the skills and tools that uh, created the most effective way to collaborate. And so you'll find a lot of these companies that are coming out of this school um, begin work very collaboratively and will often, at a base, uh, create their own work. So you come out of there going, I have a lot to say. <laughs> I have the theater tools to say what I want to say. I can do it, and I can especially do it with these four other people. Because we, we love the dynamic, the energy, the excitement of creating together. That's a huge part of it. It's uh, interesting to think that at the time that you were in Paris, uh, studying at Lecoq, uh, another artist of the theater was in Paris. Do you mean Beckett? Samuel Beckett <laughs> but was in Paris. He was there. Yes, he was there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Samuel Beckett and, was there. Uh, Beckett's plays are uh, very, very unique. And when talking about them, we often talk about drama as harrowing as a poem by Sylvia Plath and clown, something as whimsical mm-hmm. as embodying the color, the, the sense of light or the color purple. Um, how were you introduced to Beckett and what, what draws you to the plays of Samuel Beckett? And oh, my, um, I've always been um, interested in, I guess, primarily the poetry of Beckett and how um, physical I found the poetry. So it has, I, I have a physical feeling 
Now, I started out my young life as a, as a hopeful dancer. I wanted to dance. So I take things in uh, physically, and that's what matched me up so well with this school, Lecoq, is that there's a rhythm, and, a, um, and even though we didn't get to speak for a year, because it was all so physical, uh, <laughs> I, I knew that when we got a chance to speak with language that I'd, I'd receive it in a physical way. I don't know if anyone else has that, that feeling where you experience things. We, we all experience things in different ways. So I would first, when I first heard, I think it was Waiting for Godot, which is m many people's first experience with Beckett. I didn't understand it on an intellectual level, but I felt it. I, I felt it in, in my body as all I, all I could express it. I, I could shut my eyes and just feel it go somewhere in my body. It's, 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 not, it's just the way I'm, I'm made. Um, and I'm actually a very practical, reasonable person <laughs> with controlling needs and all kinds of things. But I, I do uh, have this other part of me that feels things in my body. So I would say the language first mm -hmm. affected me. Mm -hmm. At some point, I actually got a chance to be in a Beckett play, a play called Play, um, <laughs> because I, when I left Lecoq, I was acting first. I was performing a lot before I made my foray into the more controlling aspect of theater, the director. Um, and I played, so I got to speak the words and I had to understand the text more. I had to have a different, a new relationship with the text. And that was to try to figure out what he was saying, what he meant, what could I do with the text to make it comprehensible to an audience. So that brought my um, experience with Beckett to a new level. And it... Um, it, in, it, it uh, provoked my more cerebral part of me, my, the part I love about um, investigating and analyzing text and meaning and, peop and behavior. Mm. They're very uh, sort of audacious challenges that Beckett puts forward to the mm -hmm. performer and to the director. Um, in Happy Days, I don't think I'm giving anything away, uh, it's a play in which a woman is buried up to her waist in earth. Now, there are other plays of Beckett's where people are in trash cans and you only see them from the shoulders up. There are plays of his where there's only a mouth, I believe, mm -hmm. and the, they light only the mouth of the, the speaker. You don't see even her eyes. Uh, plays with no words. Mm -hmm. um, plays where people speak simultaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think he's on about with that? And uh, how do you take that on? Like, what challenges does it give you? Well, I think he made a... If, if, you, if you look at his work with Waiting for Godot being one of his earlier works, people were walking around on stage, you know, ha talking to each other and moving. And little by little, he kept, I think, wanting to essentialize an, an experience. Huh. And so he kept bringing it in so more and more essential so that you would be only able to see and hear one thing. And, you know right down to this not I, which is a 20-minute piece, of course. So it's not, it's not a, a two-act play with just a mouth. <sighs> which I think he got. He understood finally that he couldn't do that. <laughs> People would not, would not stay. But I think he... Um, I don't think he purposefully set out to challenge the audience with, these, with, the, with this sort of work. I think it's what he had to do. He had to... to to um, investigate 
a, a, um, a human condition, the, in, the human condition in this particular way. And I think, uh, it very, very simply, Winnie is stuck. She's stuck in a mound of earth. The beauty of Beckett is that we can all watch this and relate to it and understand it in a multiplicity of meanings and layers. There are many ways to understand this play, to see this play, to experience this play. And I think that's where Beckett is a, a bit of a magician, is that he, he has a musical way with language and an understanding of the depth of the human condition and uh, he, like, like a, but like a scientist, works it out in these plays very, very carefully. Every word is carefully chosen. He was incredibly well-educated, like that old-style European education where he was writing his thesis on Proust when he was 23 years old. You know, an incredibly huge document. Uh, uh, that, that's, and and the, the play is full of literary illusions. You don't have to understand these literary illusions or even recognize them to appreciate That must be it. your connection when he's studying Proust at 23 and you're running yeah. a theater company at the age of five. Yeah. You both shared yes, that. Yes, we shared that too, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so what do you do with, uh, how do you direct a play where there's no blocking? per yeah. se. I mean, there is staging, but so much of what we do in rehearsal, we discover through, okay, where do I go to the door? When do I get the coffee? Mm -hmm. When do I, you know? Mm -hmm. There you've got Winnie in her mound. In her um, mound. And uh, Beckett's text is actually full of explicit yes. directions. Could you share some of those or tell us yeah. a bit about that? Well, you'll notice at the beginning of the play, Winnie goes through a series of uh, actions at her mound, she gets ready for the day. She uh, brushes her teeth and she combs her hair. She does things that we might do. But he doesn't just say she does these things. He puts very explicit directions and says um, a, a line of text, then picks up the hat. Puts the hat like this, another line of text. Puts the hat on. So he tells you, he gives you explicit instructions about how he would like to see the, this, these moments. Now, my guess is he uh, understood a kind of, a, he, he had a relationship to physical comedy, and that's why he did that, because he sat in his room and worked that all out in his, actually physically worked it all out, and he decided that this would be the funniest or the most effective, dramatic way of... Um, of, of presenting these, these, these actions. So in fact, I um, took it on myself, and I don't know if every director does, to try to uh, oh, get yeah. inside mm. Beckett's head around this and to do, what he, to do what he asked, to try to follow through on those actions. Once, I ha once we had the base, and it's very hard, it's very hard, because most actors um, more organically come up with their physical actions of what they're going to do and when they're going to put their glasses on and when they're going to take them mm, off. Yeah. And Well, we struggled through very difficult rehearsals where she had to do what it said. So it's like working the other way around. So eventually Tanya get, got comfortable with it, and then we could make it more her own and I could s modify the instructions to some degree to make it mm. closer to what uh, I thought. Beckett, and Beckett is quite famous for being very strict, mm -hmm. isn't he, about 
adhering to these directions. He's closed down productions. Uh, he, he's um, unusual. He, he wants his plays to be produced and seen in a very particular way. And if you stray too far, he has the Beckett police out there. <laughs> I hope none of you are. <laughs> and uh, they can, they have the right to close it down. We have to sign something, say, we will do what you say, we promise. So uh, people do deviate because even within that instruction, there's still a thousand places where one makes decisions. And that's just the way it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... How do you direct it? We, um, again, it's a matter of still getting a text in your body. That's what I can't help. That's what I think. She only has part of her body, but it doesn't mean that she's not um, receiving the text, the information through her body. So we did a lot of talking about the script, a lot of talking about it, trying to mine it for every uh, direction and layer of meaning. And then at some point you just go, well, now it's time to be Winnie. (laughs) Now it's time to say the words over and over and over again to see how Winnie is going to enter into you. And and I know you can only move this much. And every day I would see in a rehearsal, it grows and grows. Mm. And so this becomes a very expressive part of her. Her face, very expressive. And... The words. I, I don't deny that it's not, it's not a difficult experience for the audience. It is. It's asking you to participate in something with her. She's up there. You'll see it. She's up there um, working very hard to express and to be there with you. And I think as an audience, what I feel is the audience gives back. They get it. And they pull in and give and, and work to say, okay, we're here. Come on, Winnie, <laughs> keep yeah. going. And yeah. come on, Tanya, the actress. Because I think there's um, a, theat- a recognition of where the fact that we're in the theater, in this play. You, you, there, there we have tried to say, well, you're also still in the theater. This is a th- you, nobody is in a mound. You will never find anyone out there who lives their <laughs> life in a mound of earth. So it's theater. So it's got a very theatrical, metaphoric, basic... Um, condition for you to watch the play with. Now, the play also, uh, <coughs> the main character is Winnie, but there's a, another character in it, mm-hmm. Lily, and it's very much about their relationship, mm-hmm. isn't it? On one level, it's very much all about the relationship between a man and a wife, or husband and a wife, a man and a woman, I was going to say, because I can't even say for sure they were married, but they're, uh-huh. they're, they're together and have been for a long, long time. So on one level, it's the story of a, of a, a long-term relationship. <laughs> Stuck in a long-term relationship. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the horrors and beauties of that. On the one hand, this is a play written in the 60s that has a, uh, a Beckettian and perhaps that time period, a sense of darkness and despair. On the other hand, there are elements of this play that I think um, give you glimmers of, of, of hope and a for, forward, forward action, glimmers of it. I'm more attracted to the dark part myself, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's my Russian heritage speaking. 
He describes this play that was a comedy, does he not? Or a tragic comedy? Is that the he doesn't describe it as anything. He doesn't. No, but he doesn't say one thing or another. But it's definitely, there's a very strong tradition of a comic, comic, low comedy, vaudevillian comedy in it, which I think Beckett has been attracted to, he was attracted to all the time. I don't know if any of you have seen Waiting for Godot ever, any other Beckett plays. Well, there's a... Um, the characters in Waiting for Godot are very much steeped in a clown tradition. They, they have oh, yeah. that um, s- naivete. S- um, and the comedy, he loved, Beckett loved the silent film comics. Didn't he actually do a film? He made a mm-hmm. film with Buster Keaton, yes. did he not? Yes, yeah. a film called Film. <laughs> <laughs> he has a play called Play, a play called Film, a movie called Film. Uh, yes, with Buster Keaton. So he, when Buster Keaton was very old and Beckett, you know, getting on as well. And a, s- a totally silent film and not hysterically funny, not your typical Buster Keaton physical gag comic comedy. But he's attracted to um, those comics like Chaplin and uh, Keaton because I think because not only are they, they hysterically funny, but they're deeply melancholic as well. They speak to us about the a comic, a, I mean, I mean a, um, the human condition. Mm. And I'm very attracted to that. In the work I do, that's a huge attraction to me. So, you know, what's so funny about slipping on a banana peel? Why do we laugh and laugh and laugh at some <laughs> poor schmo slipping and falling on a banana peel <laughs> and hurting themselves? There's something uh, funny and uh, ident- we identify with the, the failure of that, This the... the that we could just as easily be the one to slip and fall. And there's a comic and a tragic element to that. Uh Uh-huh. Before I turn over questions from our our audience today, uh, you know, when you read about Beckett and uh, if you get on the internet and Google him or whatever, uh, the word important comes up again and again and again. And I think for so many theater practitioners, Beckett really is one of the the giants, one of the, mm-hmm. the great playwrights of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. How is, why is he important to you as an artist, as a director? Mm, well, um, he does represent that provocation. So um, when I was younger and was first introduced to Beckett, I think there was that moment of, oh, wow, I don't get this, but this is different. This is radical, and this is shaking up the conventional theatrical terrain of its day. And I am interested. I'm thrilled. I get a little thrill. I didn't, I did, as I say, I didn't necessarily get it totally, but I embraced and understood that it was radical. And every once in a while, I think we need to uh, embrace and be, be overwhelmed by something that is very different and shakes us. Whether we like it or not, to accept that that shaking uh, takes us to new places. And we all experience that in our lives, I think. You don't think you're going to get over it. You don't think you're going to survive something that's shaken up, shaken things up. But of course, theater got shook up because of Beckett. But, and some, some of the rest of the theater traditions since then have been hugely affected by it, and others have gone on their merry way in a much more conventional way. So I think what it did was it expanded and opened up the theatrical possibilities of our, or the possibilities for our theatrical cultures. 
that's, that's I guess, what I... Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I want to, again, thank you, Leah, so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. It's and thank pleasure. all of you for yes. coming out. And I hope you enjoy our production of Happy Days this afternoon. Thank you very much. all for this first Hinterviews podcast of the 2008-2009 season. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. That's H-I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-S at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac.com hyphen cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find past episodes, subscription links, instructions on how to subscribe. You can easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. That's E-M-A-I-L-A-L-E-R-T-S. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. Ottawa.